0: Thank you very much. And genre men and genre women, welcome to Two Old Parts, Talk Sci-Fi. I'm David Klink. And I am Troy Harkin. And this is our Doctor Who 101, an introduction episode.
1: Or Doctor Who, what, where, when, or why. Or Doctor Who's on first. Or Horton here's Doctor Who. Or.
0: Other wow.
1: Things. Wow. Yeah. So Dave, <laughs> it, we're back. We're back in black or we're not, but whatever. We're we're back for Doctor Who. But before we start off this particular episode, uh, you know, we've been itching to get back to do a show here in 2023. And um, I had this little bit that I wanted to throw your way, Dave, just as, to limber up, you know, how you warm up before, you know, you do a big game or whatever um so i have a little thing if your game uh, that i want to that i want to play with you well i've
0: got my doctor who shirt that i'm wearing yeah. all the podcasters could probably even tell just from the sound of my voice that i'm wearing a doctor who shirt that's a salvador dali image it's called salvador dalek and it actually shows in persistence of memory actual daleks melting on trees which I think is very cool. So I thought it was it appropriate suave. to wear that. It's it's oh, yeah.
1: Rico Suave,
0: or what I used to call Suave, Suave. Um,
1: <laughs> so I'm ready. Are uh, so you ready for this? Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Are you ready for yeah, this? Yeah. Do you like it? Do you like it like this? Okay, it's uh, I call this little game. Verne Wells or Verden Wells, meaning Jules Verne. H.G. Wells or Vernon Wells. So I'm going to give you um, something that one of these three men did, and you have to tell me which one of the three did it. Is it Jules Verne, H.G. Wells, or Vernon Wells? Yeah. Is Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Uh, this man wrote The War of the Worlds. H.G. Wells. Ding, 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 ding. Okay. Woo! Here you go. Question number two in Vern Wells or Vernon Wells. This man wrote journey to the center of the earth.
0: Oh, that sounds like Jules Verne to me. Oh, did I blow that one?
1: Uh, No, you got
0: it. That's
1: right. You're two for two. You're two for two. All right. This man hit 223 home runs for the Toronto Blue Jays.
0: Is it Jules
1: Verne? No. H.G. Wells? No. Or Vernon Wells? I think it's Vernon Wells. You are three for three, my friend. (laughs) Okay. In 1897, this man published "The Invisible Man." Was that Jules Verne, H.G. Wells, or Vernon Wells? Oh,
0: I think that's Vernon Wells. For, no, no, that's HG Wells. Sorry, oh, I was losing him for ma- a second. You, there. you keep
1: the streak alive. You you are el perfecto. Okay, do you need a break or? No, no, you, I you ready think to carry on? I might
0: be able to carry on, I think.
1: Okay. This particular man wrote the book Around the World in 80 Days. Is that Jules Verne, HG Wells, or Vernon Wells? Well, that's definitely. Jules Verne. You, my friend, still perfect. All right. This heavy hitter wrote the story 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Jules Verne, H.G. Wells, or Vernon Wells? That's actually a harder one.
0: Mm -hmm. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea is, I think, Jules Verne. And he's still perfect,
1: ladies and gentlemen. Let's hear it. Okay, <laughs> this is your second last question. See if you can keep this streak alive. Have a perfect season like the Miami Dolphins of 1972. Mm. This man was walked 472 times in his career. Is that Jules Verne, H.G. Wells, Or Vernon Wells? I think that's Vernon Wells. You're one answer away from a perfect season.
0: Now I'm scared. (laughs) Of Vernon
1: Wells or Vernon Wells. And and I might be a little forgiving on this one anyway. Anyway, just listen to it carefully, okay? Mm. In 1997, this man signed with the New York Yankees and requested to wear Babe Ruth's number three. He was denied. Now think about that one.
0: That's maybe the most difficult out of all three of them. You know, all all eight of them. That might be the trickiest one.
1: And tricky is is part of this question, I Mm. will say. In 1997, he signed with the New York Yankees and requested to wear Babe Ruth's number three. He was denied now, Dave, I won't say anymore.
0: more, okay if, you think can I have so- the three can I have the three names again for who I have to choose from? Well, it's <sighs> it Jules Verne h. G. Wells, or Vernon Wells. I think yeah. I'll go with Vernon Wells this time now you know what see i I was not
1: I was a little bit uh, fishy here. It's actually. David Wells. Oh, it, it, so now I, I'm going to that. That's on me. That one is on me. You at least knew it was a baseball player,
0: and you knew yeah, it was I a Wells. That. You knew it yeah, was a yeah.
1: Wells, but not Vernon Wells, but David Wells. So I'm going to I'm going to forgive you for that. We're going to give you the perfect season because that was that was just a little bit. Uh,
0: yeah, throwing David Wells much. in there was a bit of a because you did give me. Th- oh, that's the reason. Oh, you were very sly. That's the reason why you wouldn't give me the three names that are, are the possible answers. You didn't do that out right. of that one question.
1: That's right. That's right. And then
0: that's why I was asking. You know, well, are the three choices those three? And then you wouldn't answer. So very sly. Very well. Smart. Let's
1: let's hear it for Mr. David Clank. Thank you for playing, Vern Wells or Vernon Wells.
0: Wow, I was almost Alrighty. thinking you were in the role of the master in Doctor yes, Who with that. That's
1: right. That's right.
0: <laughs> but thank you for that, and thank you for reminding me of Vernon Wells, who I had forgotten. Uh, no offense against Vernon Wells and his family and people that know him, but there was just so many great Jays and great players over the years. But I do, once you mentioned his name, yes, of course, he played and played well for the Jays for a number of seasons. Yeah. Um, So this is our second episode of season four, a uh, hold number 44. So we've actually done somehow 43 episodes before this one, which is kind of scary. Yeah.
1: Um
0: We have it scheduled for broadcast on Saturday, January 28th, 2023. But if we don't make that deadline, it'll come at some point soon after that. Uh, we do not have a special guest for this episode. Before that, Troy will give us a spoiler alert.
1: I will indeed. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert!
0: Spoiler alert! Woo! Thanks, Troy. We're recording this session via Zoom. Um, as I've said many times in many shows, in many ways, uh, Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi is a look back to when we fell in love with the speculative genre to recall these times with fondness and affection. I think a review by PJGS20028 uh, posted in June 2016 may have said it best. Uh, when they said in an article titled, easily one of the best TV shows ever produced. In all honesty, all I can say about Doctor Who is positive. It might have inconsistencies here and there, but as a franchise, it's the best television series ever produced. Doctor Who is thrilling, action-packed, emotional, funny, and dramatic. And it does this in a way that makes it fun to watch, while not being too heavy like The Walking Dead or Breaking Bad. The main reason why Doctor Who is my favorite show is because it encapsulates everything good and bad about humanity to create a feel-good series. It's plain old fun, yet it's scary, surprisingly emotional, and thought-provoking. The acting, the music, and the script writing as a whole are phenomenal, especially as the show progresses on to Doctor Who. We aren't doing the history background for the show. That will come up as we discuss it. We're doing this episode as an introduction. Um, Troy will ask me questions about this show, and I will go over what I believe are the most important things uh, that one needs to know about Doctor Who. I'm not an expert, by the way. I just wanted to give let people know that I've been on some panels at conventions. I've watched almost every episode and a number of them more than once. I have a fairly... Expansive knowledge of Doctor Who, but a real whovian and a real Doctor, someone who is a huge fan of it, would, you know, in a fight, they would destroy me when it comes to Doctor Who. So I've, I, I'm pre- pretending to be the expert here, but let's just say there may be some things I say that will probably be completely wrong. Um, so uh, and I just wanted to say that
1: you definitely have the upper hand on me who knows very little also uh we did want to say you know we recognized um earlier on uh in the history of this podcast that that we had yet to do a doctor who specific show and that we would need to address that at some point so here we are we thought you know we're sort of getting back to some some shows and uh we should definitely address the issue that we have not covered doctor who in any meaningful sort of way and so here we go this is this is us doing our thing and again this is is mostly on me because again david says he's not an expert but like he's been watching all his life i have not been watching at all very little like you know i watched a couple of christmas episodes and whatnot but david why don't you tell us about your first experience of of doctor who that
0: you can recall uh well let's just say it was a while ago uh probably almost 50 years ago because it would have been the early 1970s i watched the uh, a few episodes with uh, the actor who is known as three or the third doctor who is John Pertwee. And there were a few episodes and, and, uh, my sister, uh, Carolyn, um, really liked John Pertwee. And I, I think she might consider John Pertwee her favorite because everyone, if you're a Doctor Who fan, you have a favorite doctor. There's just no such thing as being a Doctor Who fan and not having your your doctor mine is number 4 tom baker so i watched the ending of of john pertwee a few of his episodes and then that you know when tom baker comes in with the robot episode where he actually changes from uh john pertwee into tom baker and that whole funny scene and and just how great tom baker was how cheerful Him offering people a jelly, going into his pocket and say, would you like a jelly baby? Like that kind of stuff got me. And also early on, and I don't know if I have this mentioned or on my notes later on when we talk about the show. But uh, Judith Merrill, who was one of the great um, editors in the 60s and 70s and a science fiction writer, one of the great Canadians. uh, And I often saw her at various events in Toronto in the 70s. She actually introduced some of the episodes of doctor who on, I think it might've been TV Ontario, but I'm trying to remember. who so, yeah. was 50, pretty sure it was 50 years ago, right? Like this is a long, like this is a long running series. So that's my first experience was probably watching John Pertwee singing or chanting to a groomful of spiders. This whole mantra, like, like Haroon, 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 or whatever it was, he was saying, just to, like, it was so odd. And the, and the, Effects were so awful, and it was so great at the same time that this was just something that a kid that i I was probably ten at the time, ten or eleven or twelve watching this, just getting enthralled by this, so that's my first experience and uh, why don't I turn the tables or turn the lazy Susans or whatever Troy? can you please tell us how you were first introduced to Doctor Who well i I have a very clear memory of
1: those t v o days in the, I guess, probably early to mid seventies. And my first experience would have been, um, I guess, like it was black and white. I remember that. And this was in the color era, but um, I I remember TVO was airing these black and white episodes. Now, something that I still love about the show uh, is the theme. Like, and I, I know we'll get into that in depth later, but I loved the theme Um, and I loved the opening with that sort of like vortex of like smoke or something that you were traveling through as the music's playing. Um, That's the only thing that held me. Like I would, I would actually watch it for the opening and then um, uh, there was just something about the look that I couldn't get into at that point. Uh, And again, part of it was that I was watching black and white episodes um and everything's felt really i felt like i was watching the uh almost a like a play that had been shot for some reason like that was my impression of it i you know i was used to i guess like the north american broadcast production standards or whatever so it felt it just felt a little odd to me so i could i didn't embrace it right away um and then my big issue like what happened with me was in high school Uh, There was a fellow who actually became a friend a little bit later in life, not much longer, but he was a huge Doctor Who guy. And, you know, I liked all of the North American stuff that I knew that was genre. Um, But the fact that Doctor Who was his favorite show and he was like the nerdiest guy that I knew at the time. Um, it just sort of made it really. Um, just like, like I thought. Well, if he likes Doctor Who, that doesn't say much for the show. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, so it's amazing
0: it. what can turn someone off, or what what experience, or what things can just steer you away from something, right? Um, because you just caught it the wrong time. Because yeah. if that's was that person plus the black and white, and some of those earlier episodes. Because when it eventually goes to color and just some of the things that they do in the in the Pertwee and Tom Baker years were quite amazing. And the thing is, is that that's part of what we also want to talk about is if you want to introduce someone to Doctor Who, like what would you do? And for me, it would probably be start someone with the reboot because that, that Doctor Who ran for a certain period of time and they had a number of six or seven doctors and then Sylvester McCoy was the final one. And then they had a gap because it just wasn't doing that well. Then about eight or nine years later, they did a t- uh, movie with Paul McGann. Then there was another mm-hmm. gap. Then they rebooted it full force with Christopher Eccleston. That's been basically pretty constant since then. And if there was someone that you wanted to introduce to Dr. Who to say, Hey, I've never watched it. What do you, wh- where do I start? Cause there's just so many places one can start. I would right. start with the first episode, which is still the most watched episode of, Doctor Who in history, I believe, is the very yeah. first episode with Christopher Eccleston, and I've since watched that. By the on, way, Troy on BritBox, yeah. and I. I oh, I, you I'm, have,
1: yeah, and I do love it. Like, I mean, it's pretty much everything that I've watched. You know, now at this point in my life, where I've gone back and I've,
0: yeah, you
1: know, I've loved it, um, and I recognize how uh, ahead of the game it was. Um, and I, I, I actually said to my friend Peter, the fellow that I was referencing. Um, that you know he was he was also ahead of the curve because we now live in an era where everything genre is cool you know everybody mm-hmm. loves like all the like the things that we cover on our show pretty much i would say half of the public loves like you mm-hmm. know there's not a lot of people that don't like things like the walking dead right um, or a Squid but, Game and right. all and those. Th- things, but that yeah, was yeah. not the case in, in the 1970s. And stranger things. And the yeah. fact that my friend Peter, you know, was such a diehard Doctor Who fan then, and he was like buying Starlog and, you know, had these posters of the Doctor, um, you know, now everybody loves Doctor Who. And I, and I realized, you know, I said to him, you know, you were so far ahead of the curve on this. We now live in an era where everybody wants to go to Comic Con in San Diego, right? But mm. this was when things like Comic Con, I mean, in, in the way that where every town, every city has a convention of sci-fi and comic and related stuff. Um, that wasn't the case back in the mid-70s and whatnot. So again, David, you were part of that as well. You were going to cons when it was a really rare thing. So again, my Yeah, yeah. I, I tip my hat to you.
0: Yeah, I did see. My first con con was in 1976. It was Star Trek 76. Um, and I've been what been at cons and been on panels at cons for like 30 years. Um, one of the things for intro, introduction for like, how do you bring someone to Doctor Who? Troy, in your case, because I know how much of a horror aficionado and how much you like horror. It's amazing. Actually, if you go through Doctor Who of its, it'll be 60 years this, this, uh, summer and there'll obviously be a very big 60th anniversary kind of thing. And they have a new doctor coming in, <laughs> but, um, it's amazing just how much doctor who not all of it but a fair amount of it actually is not just relatable to people and people can connect to but also has a horror connection like back when with 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 tom baker there was the horror of fang rock and also there was the brain of morbius and these ones are some of my favorite episodes and they are clearly on the horror spectrum of um and the weeping angels and the and there's a number of Things that have happened in Doctor Who that that skirt the horror side, which is I find uh, quite cool.
1: Yeah, I, and I noticed today because I, you know, I was doing some homework and I watched a forty-minute YouTube uh, chronology of Doctor Who, and uh, there was an episode that you'll know the name of immediately, but where the Doctor um, goes to a planet that uh, basically is inhabited by these intelligent giant spiders. And, um, I, you know, I, I made the connection to Stephen King's It. Um, and I don't want to spoil too much if people haven't read all of it before or seen the film, but, um, there's sort of a connection there to that. And I wondered, Oh, I wonder if this episode of Doctor Who actually inspired a portion of the story of
0: it. There are a lot of people that have been influenced by Doctor Who. Over the years, that's and I have some quotes later on in the episode of some fairly famous people like Neil Gaiman and Steven Spielberg that talked about Doctor Who. I asked now, depending on if you're listening to this podcast or you have this playing in your room and you've got that program running that might suddenly answer to a certain person's name. Uh, my wife, Alexa. Um, I just asked her about uh, Doctor Who and what her, were her takeaways from the show Uh, Because, you know, when we're talking about putting the show together, you are treating it as if, hey, you're the newbie. And what are the things, what are the basics and what are the things that people should be aware of of Doctor Who? So I just asked Alexa about it. And these are her bulleted points. And a lot of this is the stuff I will be talking about. It is very cool to hear someone who she's seen some Doctor Who, but is not someone who's watched every episode, is not an expert. But this from basically... The the basic takeaways for the show for her is it is a show about a time traveler's experiences. The time traveler often inserts himself into historical events. The time traveler travels with a companion. He or she is on the good side. This is, again, the, the doctor who is always on the good side. He or she always tries to resolve conflicts. Each doctor has their own style and personality. Some doctors are funnier. Some carry a darkness and edge. This is not that different from the different James Bonds. The device he travels in is called a TARDIS. It is a blue police box and is larger on the inside. Some episodes border on horror and there are some fun genre creatures. So that's just a very quick thing. And I think if you just talk to someone on the street, you'd be surprised even if someone claims that they've never watched an episode of Doctor Who. They may recognize a Dalek. They may recognize the blue police box. They may recognize some of the actors that have been Doctor Who, which is, I think, just gives you the sense of just how much people, how much it's ingrained it's yeah, and, you know, later on. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: I, I was going to say, in, in doing my... Uh... Uh, the research today, I was amazed at how many of my favorite actors have been a part of the series over the years. Um, Derek Jacoby, John Hurt, just the fact even that those two were included in it. But, uh, one of my favorite films from the 1980s is Withnull and I, starring Paul McGann and Richard E. Grant, and they were both part of the series. And, um, so it, it, that in itself was like, okay there's a lot of respect to be given <laughs> to the series just based on the the talent that it uh, draws.
0: Yeah. You mentioned in our episode on a Christmas Carol, how Michael Gambon was in one of the doctor who annual Christmas ones. That was a specific parody or an homage to a Christmas Carol. And he's a major actor. So it's amazing. Like, one of the things I think I may have talked to you about this is if you are a British actor of, with anything to your name or whoever you are, if you have not been either in Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, or Doctor Who, my question would be, who are you? Because, and it's rare. I think I may have looked it up and there may have been one actor that has actually been in all three of them. I can't recall at the moment. I may have a note on this later. But some people, if you haven't been at least one of those three iconic, or maybe you can even add in a Bond film, but I'm talking more genre. Oh, my thing. gosh.
1: Yeah. If you throw in Bond and Marvel, then you've got
0: everything. Yeah, you've got everything. Yeah. Everyone. So. Yeah. So what I wanted to start off with, and you can ask questions at any time or, sure. or do whatever. But what I wanted to do is because this is sort of our introduction, Doctor Who 101, an introduction or who, what, where, when, why, and how of Doctor Who is that if you want to be introduced to the character, I would just quickly go over some of the basics. First of all, the name, Doctor Who. He, it's like Doctor Who doesn't have a name. Uh, he keeps referring to himself as Doctor Who. And there's also a little fun, Uh, um, episode of a series where uh, David Tennant uh, is there as a substitute teacher and the people in the class are trying to get him to say the name Doctor Who. And it's quite a funny, uh, um, and Catherine Tate, who was um, um, Donna, who was one of the companions, is in that skit. And it's quite funny. Uh, is there a, also, I,
1: I have a feeling like there must be a uh parody of like the who's on first uh bit is there a doctor who a parody of that at all that you know of
0: david Tennant, wow. thank you so much for being here Pleasure. when it comes to dr who's you were my favorite favorite one no favorite who favorite who what favorite who who is a doctor that's strange Stephen. no dr Stephen strange is benedict cumberbatch you were who what I um, mean, Roger Don'ty was who, but I did play the Doctor, Doctor Who exactly. So you are an actor who played Doctor Who. Well, no Sherlock, Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. So Doctor Who is a traveler in time. So we had already covered that before. The show itself was as British, started in the 1960s, specifically nineteen sixty three. It started as a kids' show, sort of. It was, it's, it is one of the longest running. Possibly the longest running because there are things like Gunsmoke and other shows, but it's basically been in other than two gaps pretty much regularly on TV in some form or another or movie since 1963. Other than two eight or nine year gaps, uh, there was that there was a movie, there was the iconic opening theme which you were talking about. I have listed on my things to talk about, which is great, which they've redone like. Every so often, like every four or five, ten years, or maybe with a new doctor, they have a new opening sequence. Sometimes they change it, like they have maybe different instruments. They clean it up or they do a different take on it. Now, the, sh- the the ship itself, if you look at the basics, the fact that you have this doctor, he can travel in time, he can regenerate. You've got this vehicle that he can move around in, opens so many story ideas that it's incredible. So the the vehicle he travels in is a TARDIS. The TARDIS is an acronym. I didn't write it down here, but I believe it's time and relative dimensions in space. Uh He stole it. So there's some something around the fact that it wasn't his vehicle and he actually took it away. I, I'm very aware that that's the story behind it. I just haven't done any more research sure. about which specific doctor, what the background of that is. We can do that in a more advanced episode, but in the basics of it, he took it the sound it makes as it materializes and dematerializes is also very iconic. You hear that the kind of cool thing is in a later season that's referred to They they find out. And I think it might've been, um, one of his uh, companion or, or, or someone mentioned it. Why are you doing that? Why is it making that sound? You have the brake on. You don't have to do this, <laughs> which is kind of funny. I thought yeah. it was quite a brilliant uh, no, moment. I think that was Alex Kingston's um, uh, character um, said that to him. But yeah. then I think he either said it likes it or it's just what we're used to. Well, it's great sound design,
1: too. It's very much sort of like... Um, you know, Scotty uh, beaming people up and down, right? You know, you, you know what that yes. sounds like, right? And it's nice that you know you you create that association.
0: Exactly, and that's part of it. The other thing that that I'm a bit concerned about is the fact that it's a blue box. Now, part of the point of a Time travelers, they shouldn't be mucking around and they shouldn't be obvious. Like they're supposed to not stand out in a crowd. They're supposed to be part of the crowd. They're supposed to be someone you wouldn't even recognize that they're out of place in any way. Right. So, and, and their vehicle itself is supposed to blend in. Like there yeah. was a moment early on where the master also had his own TARDIS, but that TARDIS at one point, I think, in Roman time, it made itself look like some columns of some Roman col- Like it just looked like it blended in. And the thing is, with the TARDIS that the Doctor travels in Doctor Who, the chameleon circuit broke, and therefore it stuck. And I and I was talking to someone at at first Thursday, am uh, sorry, at third Monday, <laughs> and they said that part of the reason for them doing that was that it just is this cost saving. Like if they just had that same blue box, they don't have to buy, create some different set that's supposed to be the TARDIS blending in with the background.
1: And, you know, the, the genius of that is that, you know, the uh, the police call boxes are ubiquitous in England, right? So it's something where you take something that is mundane And you give it this special quality. And, and all of a sudden, if you're a kid, you know, you see these police boxes and you're like, it's a TARDIS, you know? Um, I think that was brilliant. That was a brilliant move.
0: Yeah. But it's also kind of neat because it sets itself in a specific time because the TARDIS is supposed to blend in. So what you have is something that was ubiquitous that everyone would see in 1963, maybe in 65, maybe in 60, whatever it is. I'm not sure just how many of those. Police boxes, almost like telephone booths, and all these other mm. things that you just don't see much of anymore. That it would that the fact that it doesn't sort of blend in anymore when it goes to a very to, to some planet or on a spaceship, and you see this freaking blue box instead of what it's supposed to blend in. It's supposed right. to be a chameleon. Well, I
1: kept, uh, even though I'm not a hoovian, um, but I'm just a you know sort of generic uh, sci-fi geek. <laughs> when when I was last in London, which was now. Probably four or five years ago, um, I kept having Christy take pictures of me in front of police boxes whenever we saw one. <laughs> you know, and he was like, okay, it's the same as the last one. Can we stop doing this? Yeah.
0: Well, I was just in um, England in October with Alexa, and we visited some of her family that's over in London, England and i of course visited the clink prison with my last name being c l i n k and took a lot of photos there but next time i go there which we'll probably go every couple of years um i will definitely have to hunt out one of these blue uh, police boxes Yeah, earlier we mentioned earlier we mentioned the theme music and the intro images and i already mentioned that i just have the note here uh, but we've already sort of covered that, the fact that they've changed it a bit over time. But it's basically, it's cool because I don't know how much they change changed now, but there was a time when, like with whether it's John Pertwee or Tom Baker, maybe one or two of the doctors since, their face, you would actually be, a con- because you would see Tom Baker's face as part of the image of this, of, of whatever's happening. There's almost like a wormhole effect or some kind of a thing that would blend in. And it would almost fit in, that that the waving and that, that whole opening sounds like it fits in perfectly with the music.
1: Can we talk a little bit about the theme now? Yeah, yeah. Um, so in a little bit of research that I did, um, I saw that it was written by Ron Grainer. Um, and he also did The Prisoner, which, like... And that's a great uh, opening bit of music as well. Yeah, it is. But, um, in, in the case of, um, Doctor Who, it was a great collaboration where he had written the music and then it was arranged by, what's the name here? Uh, Delia Derbyshire or Delia Derbyshire. Um, and she's the one that gave it that sound, that sonic quality, um, which is just, Really uh, special. Supposedly, when Ron Grainer first heard it, he was like, "Oh, did I write that?" <laughs> you know, it sounded just different enough that um, it made him sort of prick up his ears. And I've always loved uh, sort of the connection to Pink Floyd with that. Now, this is like long before Floyd was doing their thing, but it clearly made an impression on them because there's a number of different uh, pieces of their music that seem to harken back. Sort I'm in my own name there, harken back to uh, um, the, the theme to Doctor Who. Um, One of These Days by Pink Floyd from Metal it sounds like there's a lot of Doctor Who going on there it sounds like it's going to break right into um, the actual theme and, and it sort of reappears uh, a few times in the Pink Floyd catalog In 1988, KLF uh, did their um, uh, doctoring. The TARDIS uh, was was sort of a hit, which was cool that you know it was out there again in on pop radio. Uh, and what I didn't know was that KLF originally was went under the name of the Time Lords.
0: So part of the Doctor. Up thing is and one of the key things to the doctor like this is way up there is the ability to regenerate and the advantage of that is you could actually it's almost like the james bond thing where you have a new bond every x number of films what happens is you can have a new doc, like a doctor can play the role for a few years. And then one of the coolest things that we were aware very early on, everyone was anticipating. I was looking forward to when they were rebooting and finally bringing the series back with Christopher Eccleston and how great he was in those first couple of episodes. But we, all the Hugh fans knew and it was already announced. He was only going to be there for one season. Right. And that was up front, and people were still hoping, no, 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 I don't believe that. He'll be back for a second season. And that was quite a strong uh, season. So there's a whole list of actors. One of the things kind of neat, and you can watch this, there are two movies. So, so Peter Cushing has a connection to Doctor Who because he actually played Doctor Who a couple of times. But if you look at all the lists of the actors who have played Doctor Who, they don't include him. because well, why, they, why is that? Why is he not? not well, for some well, it gets a bit more common because I don't have the actual answer here. I've I've asked various people and I've said, well, look, he was Doctor Who. He was in there were two productions. So this is from Wikipedia. The character portrayed by the actor Peter Cushing appeared in two films produced by AARU, ARU Productions. One was Doctor Who in the Daleks from nineteen sixty-five. Dalek's Invasion Earth 2150 AD, which appeared in 1966. Plans for a third film were abandoned following the poor box office reception of the second film. Now, they must have obviously got permission. You just don't make a Doctor Who film. Right. It's almost like when they brought back Sean Connery for that, whichever one it was in the early 80s, because. Oh, never company, ever again. Yeah, never. Yeah, exactly. Because they somehow had the rights to that one novel or that one story. Beyond what the, the the main studio and the people that ran the James Bond film, somehow they were allowed to do that, and then okay. so on. So I don't know, and, and I would have to do a bit more research. But just be aware that there were two Doctor Who films in the 1960s that don't count. Okay. So what? So what they do is, and one of the, the most important things to be aware of is that Jodie Whittaker was the first female Doctor Who, and and they're going to have the next person, which I have to check on the pronunciation. I do apologize if I destroy it, but the, the, uh, 14th doctor will was announced in May 2022 and will appear in the 60th, C, 60th year of Doctor Who in 2023. Um, and it looks like it's Nkuti Gatwa, but I, I would have to, um, uh, uh, apologize if I have uh, destroyed that. Um, so what happens is, uh, uh, Doctor Who started in 1963, so, and there's an order to this. William Hartnell was the first doctor, then Patrick Troughton, and then John Pertwee. And that's the order. William Hartnell is one. So if you refer to, if, if you know, if two Hoovians are talking, they talk about one or two, they're talking about, they just use the numbers. So William Hartnell was number one, Patrick Trout number two, John Pertwee was number three, and Tom Baker was number four. A lot of people, because Doctor Who got got started building up, getting more viewership and more people were getting interested in it, by the time Tom Baker was around, it was becoming very popular. He does such a great job, and there's so many great stories uh with him and Sarah Jane Smith, and it was just so great that a lot of people have Tom Baker as their favorite doctor. Then it continued with Peter Davison, Colin Baker sylvester mccoy and there's that gap i talked to you about so sylvester Mm -hmm. mccoy was number seven colin baker six uh peter davidson five and tom baker four of course and then there was the gap because i believe that after all these years and everything and and there were fewer people watching that it just finally ran its thing and it was canceled and it took them and there's a lot of people just like star trek remember star trek was out from 66 to 68 Then there was all the fans trying to bring it back. And then there was the animated show and then there were conventions. And And we had the gap with Star
1: Wars as well.
0: Yes, exactly. And that was a cool thing with Star Wars because when they did episodes four, five, and six, we had heard that Lucas already had these ideas and already had sort of rough things for there would be an episode one, two, three, and there would be an episode seven, eight, nine. So that eventually all came back later. Yeah. So, exactly. So, after Sylvester McCoy, there was a gap, and I've, I haven't looked it up here, but from what I had looked it up, it was around seven, eight, nine years. They had this TV movie, and it's not, I mean, if people say it's really bad, I don't agree. Like, it, it was pretty good. Uh That was the other thing that I may not have mentioned, is that the doctor is not human. He's from Gallifrey, and he has two hearts. But this was Paul McGann. And the best part for me for that movie was the opening. Because it actually opens and starts with Sylvester McCoy, who was the seventh doctor. Right. And something happened, you know, they regenerate. So if they die, they will regenerate. So something happens to the Sylvester McCoy Doctor Who, and then he transforms into Paul McGann. He regenerates into Paul McGann. So there's right. that and one th- movie. Th- yeah, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, and I think I've seen uh, when Eccleston's uh, Doctor dies, we see the transformation into david Tennant as well exactly exactly
0: so after paul mcgann there was a gap and they eventually whatever the reasons were i haven't gone into the the history of it here because clearly the people who were able to take over doctor who who were able to sell it and say hey we can bring this back we can make it interesting again uh, because i think the story writing and everything eventually just things got a bit weak so they brought it back with Christopher Eccleston. He's number nine. Pomegranate's eight, and Christopher Eccleston is number nine.
1: And I want you to be able to finish your list here, David, but I I do have a question that maybe you have an easy answer for. Yeah, when yeah. when uh, a, a new doctor emerges, um, does the previous companion tend to transfer for a little bit, or does the new companion sort of take over almost immediately?
0: generally the person carries over. For example, with uh probably um the most famous and the the one that people like most as a companion with Sarah Jane Smith, played by Elizabeth Sladen. And she was a companion for with John Pertwee for a while and then just continued on with Tom Baker. And people, you know, you just have to get used to it. The fact that you know, one day they look like this and the next day, no, there's something are they're different. Right. And, and the changes is always important. Like, I think the two biggest or important changes for me, were John Pertry changing to Tom Baker, Tom Baker was such a different person, such a different physical and comedic actor. I'm John Pertwee was great. Don't, get me wrong, but Tom Baker was such a different and was such someone that just captivated and controlled the room. So when he comes in, he's having fun with it. He's actually in the TARDIS and he's trying on different things. He actually at one point has a Viking helmet and he's saying, I'm going to walk, like, do this. And eventually he comes on In what he eventually has as his regular, and for some reason, it's it's a bit odd with these doctors, but they tend to wear the same, like David Tennant in his suit, like they all tend to wear the same. It's weird, and even Jodie Whittaker, once they've got that look, like Tom Baker had his look with that scarf and that that coat and every and the hat, they do that for years, and you think, why can you not? Do you not have another change of clothes, or do you just keep? (laughs) You have eight sets of these same things. And, right. and th- there's cool stories behind the scarf because I think that scarf of, of Tom Baker's, if, I would have to look it up, but I think it was like 14 feet long or something like that. Right. It was some hideously long, but so beautiful and such a cool scarf. So that changed. And the other one was David Tennant changes to Matt Smith because David Tennant, because he had been the doctor for so long. He got to almost write his own thing. Like he did this whole long thing at the end of his last episode where he actually visited a bar where, where a ca- Captain Jack Harkness was and, and then he visited this person, and visited, and he just did this whole long, big long goodbye, which is fairly emotional because we all got connected and really cared about David Tennant and what he did with Doctor Who. So we all got these to see all these characters again. Where he was able to say, you know, I'm changing very soon, and I'm just this is my final goodbye in this form was quite powerful.
1: Ooh, 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 ooh! ooh. I have a question, oh, sir. Yeah.
0: Yep, yep. Um, now I
1: I wrote this note down, and I don't know the answer. David Tennant plays two doctors. Is that right? Or did, um, is is there like a uh, like a ten point five or something? Is that right?
0: Uh, I would have to look that up a bit more because I'm a bit confused by that. Okay. Um, All right. And there's also been, been, and there's also been other, like there's been some interesting things that I would have to, you know, I watch them, but for me to speak to it eloquently and with some sense, I would have to look up a bit more detail and watch episodes again. But there've been some fun things where you think someone else is a previous incarnation, a future incarnation, or is the doctor. They've had fun stuff with that. Like this one person in in Victorian time or wherever it was said he was a doctor and is using this device that was a sonic screwdriver and and, and so There's this neat stuff, but there was a reason why he was somehow patterned or something happened that made him have either the memories or believe he was a doctor. So they've had a lot of fun with that kind of thing.
1: Okay, I'll hold on to my next question until we get through your list here.
0: Oh, yeah. And this is just quick. We'll just finish it off. So basically with the restart, which is, I think, around 2005, um, it was it started. I'm trying to remember if that was uh, Russell T Davies. Um, uh, but there have been a number of uh, people. There was, uh, Stephen Moffat. There was, uh, there was a number of showrunners and people behind it writing great stories and, and with all the production, with everything else. It was just from Christopher Eccleston on, it was just fantastic. So it was just a whole resurgence. It was incredible. So you had Eccleston's number nine, Tennant is 10, Matt Smith. And a lot of people after you, you know, how do you follow David Tennant? But Matt Smith really held his own. He did a lot better than than what I thought. And there's also a great moment with the Fez. Um, but he's number 11. Peter Capaldi was 12. Jodie Whittaker 13. And then we have the new Doctor appearing in 2023. And you have to watch the 60th. The 50th anniversary one, 10 years ago, the, the, they had a 50th anniversary one. was so good and had a surprise moment at the end Ooh. of the episode. It was very emotional and fantastic because you hear someone's voice you know, you've got this shot of, of of the doctor and then you hear a voice in the background and you say, oh my God, that's, you know who. And then and it is in a different role. And it brought in a previous doctor and it was just such a powerful and fantastic. Like whenever they do anniversary, special shows like those Christmas episodes and so on are definitely worth seeing.
1: Okay, so I have a couple of questions for you. Yeah, um, and I'll try to I'll I'll give them to you all at once, but then you can address them however you like. <laughs> um so the, the the couple of questions I have is uh what is the doctor trying to achieve basically? And and then how do timelines work with the series? Uh, is the butterfly effect an issue or what? <laughs> so I'll let you go go to town on those those three. What is the doctor trying to achieve first of all?
0: Um, I think he does, it's, it's kind of neat with him. And I may, I may have this listed further on, but the idea is, is that he appears like, like whatever reason, sometimes the TARDIS recognize or understands or I don't know quite understand how the TARDIS quite works, but for some reason, it sometimes voyages or goes to an area of the most need. Like there's some civilization that might be destroyed or some issue, whatever it is. The Doctor ends up in the middle of whatever this S-H-I-T show is going on. And mm. what's cool is in a lot of these episodes, it's just amazing to see how the Doctor works. Because he can appear within the TARDIS. The TARDIS re, rematerializes. He's on a spaceship. And there. Going through some issue and they're trying to resolve and 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 things are the ship might explode. He's somehow on a spaceship that there's no reason. How could he be on this thing? He's there. They're wondering who is this guy? And then he takes command and he said, "Well, do this or whatever it is." He is sort of like the the James Bond who happens to be perfect at golf, at ten different sports, has all this knowledge, can play, can beat you at at um, poker, and can do you know, has a thousand things like this doctor immediately somehow gains the trust of whoever is involved there, helps them out. And with his knowledge, he's someone that that immediately can help out and do that. Now, that's not always the case, but it's kind of neat how he does that.
1: So so I guess if he does not interject himself into um, a situation, he knows that um destiny will be changed is that sort of the thing and
0: well well, time is a bit complicated too because you know it is and they've broken their own rules and it gets a bit confusing but there's all this this stuff and i had to do a bit more research on it mm. but there's things where you can't go back to the same place at the same point of time so it's not like you can just be here but then they might fiddle with that or do different things um there's some issue with, because he is also one of the key things to know about Doctor Who is he's supposed to be sort of like the last of the time lords of the planet. It's been blocked off. Like at some point I thought it had exploded or had been destroyed or, or something had happened. I don't know if that short story has changed or whatever, but in more recent years, is there some sort of a time bubble? There was some sort of a, a huge galactic war. And some issue was resolved and they had to somehow set the, the Time Lord planet out of phase or in some kind of bubble or something where no one could visit it. And, but I'm, you know, for someone who's really a fan of Dr. Who, they'd probably be listening to this and saying, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> but he's also, he is sort of technically sort of really the last survivor, last person. But then you run into another Time Lord, the, the master who is also a Time Lord. He has been a nemesis for many years and has come back with different characters and different regenerations because the master himself or herself, in one case, has regenerated. It's funny how all these monsters and aliens and everything else speak in a British accent, Um, English or Scottish or Irish or whatever. Like, it's just... Kind of funny that way. There are various aliens and enemies like the Master, Daleks, Cybermen, Sontarans, Ice Warriors, Weeping Angels, the Silence. There are various friends who aren't companions, like people who are part of UNIT, the United Nations Intelligence Task Force, including Brigadier General Alistair Gordon Lethbridge-Stewart. Uh He steps in. He's the expert. He doesn't use a gun. There are Christmas episodes. Um There have been long story arcs. Story arcs. Uh, and they're also shorter season. This is British. This isn't 26 episodes. Um, they've had spin-off series Torchwood and the Sarah Jane Adventures. There have been various showrunners, Russell T Davies 2005 to 2010, Stephen Moffat from 2010 to 2017, Chris Chibnall from 2018 to 2022. And Russell T Davies is sc- scheduled to come back. There was an episode called that it was about Van Gogh that had Bill Nighy as a guest. That was fantastic. <laughs> um, And so on. There's been a stamp collection. He's met various famous people, including Dickens, Van Gogh, Hitler, the Queen. Um, and various things like, um, Steven Spielberg once said that the world would be a poorer place without Doctor Who. And then at one funny moment, uh, Sarah Jane said, Hey, the doctor, say, you know, doctor, you're being childish. And Tom Baker says, Well, of course I am. There's no point in, uh, being grown up, if you can't be childish sometimes, and so on. So there's some some fun little bits. They have a bit of fun with uh, language. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine.
1: Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Beetles. Number nine. Number nine. So the first two that came up uh, in the episode The Chase in season two, which aired in the spring of 1966, uh, the first doctor, Barbara Wright, uh, Ian Chesterton and Vicki Pallister observed a Beatles performance of Ticket to Ride on the time space visualizer. So I thought that was pretty cool like that was, you know, it, it, while the while the Beatles were still around. Oh very um, cool. The 11th Doctor, uh Matt Smith, listed join the Beatles along with other things that he could he could do before he died. So uh, like maybe some timeline. Matt Smith is a beetle. Uh, that was in uh, the Wedding of River Song, which was Series Six, Episode Thirteen. It aired October first, twenty eleven, and um, I think we have talked a little bit about Inspector Space Time, which is sort of a parody of Doctor Who, which is on Community. Dan Harmon who created Community, obviously a huge fan of Doctor Who uh, created Inspector Space Time, and they even go to a Comic-Con convention and and you know take part in all the Inspector Space Time stuff. Uh, so if you go, there's actually a wiki for Inspector Space Time, and, and on that wiki it says, the 1970s began with a behind-the-scenes scandal. Linda McCartney was on set and the actors playing the inspector and constable fought over her attentions. It ended with the third inspector choking the actor who played the constable. (laughs) Anyway, I I encourage anybody who loves Doctor Who to check out Inspector Spacetime on Community. Dream casting Yeah Dream casting, baby And with dream casting, we uh, take the best actors, living or dead, uh, for the roles, in this case, for Doctor Who. And uh, after that, we're going to follow it up with our Schrodinger's cast, which is our really outside-the-box casting. Originally, we called it Screamcasting, but it's now Schrodinger's cast.
0: Okay. So, uh, Dave, do you want, to, yeah, you want to break down the original cast? So the six roles we're looking at is first, of course, Doctor Who, and the original star was William Hartnell. Now, when it, and we're also cho, have decided to choose a companion. That'll be one of our six, the companion. And the original companions were the granddaughter, Susan, played by Carol Ann Ford, and Susan's school teachers, Ian Chesterton, played by William Russell, and Barbara Wright, played by Jacqueline Hill. The third character we're looking at is the Brigadier. He's just referred to often as the Brigadier, but he is Sir Alastair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart. And that was played by Nicholas Courtney. The final three are more on the evil side. So those are the three good people. We've got three bad baddies. First, the master. Ooh, Ooh. The master. Uh, the, the first uh, a person to play the master was Roger Delgado. Uh, then Davros, who was a special uh, character. But he was basically almost like a king of the Daleks. Um, And I think he showed up in an episode during the Tom Baker years and may have appeared again. But Michael Wisher played Davros or was the first one to play Davros. And then the Cybermen are probably the next one, maybe the next most famous. And the original Cybermen, Roy Skelton and Peter Hawkins the very first time Cybermen showed up, they played the voices of the Cybermen. And there's Harry Brooks, uh, Reg Whitehead, and Greg Palmer were the actual Cybermen. So those are the six, Doctor Who, a companion, Brigadier, uh, Master Davros, and Cybermen. And I was wondering if for the Dreamcast, who you have for Doctor Who, um, Troy? Well, one of the things that that I decided I wanted
1: to do for my dream casting was I did want to stick to British actors or actors of the British Isles. And, um, because the doctor that I remember seeing most was, um, was Tom Baker, uh, the hair, the curly hair was a thing. Um, and, uh, so I only have one person and that's, uh, Roger Daltrey from the 1970s. Uh, like a, a Tommy era, uh, Roger Daltrey playing the doctor.
0: Oh, that's a great choice. And Daltrey is a, is, is an excellent actor. He was in um, Sliders. I picked Idris Elba. Nice. Who we have picked a number of times. Now, now, the thing is, there was so much talk about him getting the role of James Bond. And it was like the amount that was being talked about some years ago. It was incredible. And I don't think he ended up with that role. But if he's not going to get James Bond, why not Doctor Who? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a great, great choice. And, you know, there was so much pushback, too, when he was named as uh, Roland in The Gunslinger. And he was a great gunslinger. But really, essentially, it was, let's face it, it was just racism, right? Mm people didn't have the imagination to imagine uh, a black man in the role of, of James Bond or as Roland from the dark tower. Right. And he was, he was great in that. Um, okay. We're going on to companion number one. Now, I have to admit, I think I, I clearly was thinking of a certain type when I first started, and I was thinking like uh, Britt Eklund or maybe Susan St. George. Then I kind of veered to Kate Upton, which doesn't count because she's, she's um, not British. But I, I then went into one of your favourite actresses. I thought about Hayley Atwell very seriously, very seriously, but I did not do it. I finished with Emma Watson. Emma
0: Watson was my companion
1: Uh, in my dream
0: cast oh that's i think a great choice i've always been a fan of emma watson so i went with uh, kevin hart now i think i'd have to look further on but i think my entire dream cast is of black actors or actresses. So, like what it, I've yeah. done is Idris Elba, of course, is Doctor <laughs> Who. Now, can you imagine Kevin Hart hanging out with Idris? I
1: Elba? know. Have they ever, I don't think they've ever like played opposite each other. And that would be great yeah,
0: chemistry. Can you imagine that? Great. Did you see this video that was on, uh, that, that almost went viral of Idris Elba talking about, hey, I'm effing Idris Elba? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you saw that, but I was such a good, yes. oh, that is so good.
1: The Brigadier, uh, there was one person for me I immediately was
0: John Cleese. Mm. Oh, that's, I don't know how I didn't have John Cleese as a Brigadier. Because you almost get this sense, like based on um, of the actors that have played the Brigadier, that you think of a tall, thin, it could be sort of, you know, shortcut, like a military can pull off that kind of military swagger and that look. no nonsense. Yes. That, that
1: Cleese does so well. That's that's even funnier because he's not cracking a smile. Yes.
0: So yeah. I, I give you full uh, props on the Brigadier. For me, the Brigadier I had is Samuel nice. L. Jackson. Yeah. Because he's someone that can brook no BS. Yeah. Um, so I think that he would be a great choice as the Brigadier. I like it. I like it.
1: So where are we off to now? We're off to the master. Um...
0: Possibly the scariest. And one of the things that I hadn't mentioned, I know we just did the introduction segment, is how he killed, like the early master. He would kill people by shrinking them. And and what was crazy about that was it was just the shrinking of the person that killed them. It was the shock. Oh, yeah. Done, and how evil can you be to do that to someone?
1: Yeah, I remember you mentioning that on our shrinkage episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I went with uh, Richard Burton. Oh, wow. Thought about um, Olivier, but I thought Burton would be even uh, more frightening.
0: I have got Wesley Snipes, basically the character he plays in Demolition Man, because okay, the master, yeah. the master. One of the things you have to be aware of him is the master is insane. He could care less. He's basically one of these people that is like a psychopath, a sociopath, or both. Uh, he's like um, um, the guy from the Silence of the Lambs. You know, he is right. just he will kill. He does not give a damn about you and will just kill you as if you're nothing.
1: Yeah, he's a badass. Mm. So, so that would be great. Alrighty, so Davros, um, it's funny, you know, when I saw the imagery, because I was not familiar with this character until today, um, it reminded me of Emperor Palpatine. Mm. And, and the one thing that sort of always irks me is when a character that's supposed to be really evil is both like sort of old and ugly. Uh, it just seems like a weird sort of like ageist thing to do. So I thought, what if we played against, against the type, you know, yeah. and we sort of turned the trope on its head. Yeah. And I thought, what if we had somebody who was really good looking play this character? So I went with at the prime, at his prime, George Michael as, as Davros. And then we've got another uh, British singer as well, sort of a company, a uh, Daltrey.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if in a million years I would have picked George Michael. <laughs> that would be such a, can you imagine that? That would be quite an acting job to do yeah. that. That would be amazing. Yeah. I would almost think, what's it? Who's done a lot of acting in a lot of uh, movies? David Bowie.
1: Oh, yeah. Bowie would, would be, be great. Be now there yeah. you go.
0: That's, that's, that's good thinking. Yeah. yeah. But I like your George Michael. Now what I can't even remember because I did this a while ago that what I have is oh so for the dalek i picked uh, uh i i think i looked up actually how to pronounce his name but it's babs olu uh, yes olu sanmoken um it's actually almost pronounced exactly the way it's spelt. okay but, uh, he's an actor that plays dr mbenga from the strange new world series now for cybermen what do you have
1: Oh well, this was a tough one for me. I've actually n- never heard the sound of the Cybermen. I've I've seen images, um, and I wanted to keep it British again. So I, there were certain people that I wanted, and then I thought, no, let's try to keep with someone British. So I went with Tom Hardy, who played mm. Bane. Uh, he was also in Star Trek Nemesis and The Revenant and Mad Max: Fury Road. Um, that was that's who I went with. Now, Dave, I'm gonna lean on you to maybe give some better casting for this one who who do you have well, we'll science, see, but, cyberman
0: yeah but tom hardy is probably in my top five or ten actors out there like he is so good and even that star trek nemesis which is a horrific movie he's actually pretty good in um, but he's been in so many good things it's just he's fantastic so for me uh let me just see what i have um, i have nipsey Russell. Because the Cybermen yeah. are almost like a Tin Man from Wizard of Oz. So he actually right. played the Tin Man from The Wiz. I like that. So I picked Nipsey Russell for the, our Cyberman. I don't know why, but whenever I think of Nipsey Russell, I think
1: of Soupy Sales as well. I think it's game shows from the 70s. That's probably what where my brain went mm. with that. Okay, so we're moving on to Schrodinger's cast. This is our weirdness category, our weirdness version. Um, I am still using the name generator, a random name generator, 9000. Um, and so I'm just going to give you what what uh, the machine gave me today. So as the doctor himself, Evil evil. <laughs>
0: Uh, that's quite outside the box. That yeah. is definitely a short cast or scream cast. Um, yeah, that is something that no one would have ever, ever picked in 100 years. But can you imagine if in the 70s, when he was at the top of his fame, <laughs> if he actually got the role of Doctor Who, it would be quite something.
1: And you can imagine, you know, because clearly this would be, I guess, like an American version. Uh, can you imagine the uproar oh, in Britain? Oh,
0: Oh my God, I just remembered at one point, I don't know if it was some bullshit thing or whatever it was, but I think at one point when Jim Carrey was like at the top of his game, like was, was the top number one box office draw. So at some point around thereafter. There was even talk about Jim Carrey, like them approaching Jim Carrey about being Doctor Who. Now, he refused or said, no, I just can't do it because he was aware of the show and just said, no, you you can't. I I can't. I would love to do it, but I can't because it's got to be like a British actor doing it. But that would have been quite something. Hey, do you remember this, David? There was a point in the 80s
1: when I don't know if it was Stallone's project or whatever, but he was attached to uh, an Edgar Allan Poe film, and he was supposed to, Sylvester Stallone was supposed to play Edgar Allan Poe. Do you remember that at all? No. <laughs> and so whatever the random name generator 9000 gives us, it will never be as odd as the possibility of Sylvester Stallone playing uh Edgar Allen Poe, or did I, yeah, Sylvester at Edgar and Poe. And you can probably Google that
0: one, but that definitely happened in the 80s. Wow. Okay, so I've done something, because with our Schrodinger's cast, not always, but often we do some sort of a connector thing, like maybe they're all wrestlers, or they're all politicians, or people from another cast, like Stargate or whatever. So what I've done is I've taken prop comics Comics who are known (laughs) for using props as part of their act as in Doctor Who in this Mm -hmm. case. So what I did was – this is someone that people may not be aware of, but there's a person named Tommy Cooper. And I've got a Wikipedia entry. He was a prop comic who wore a red vest. So if you actually see a picture of him, this is from like the 70s or whenever it was. If you see a picture of him, you'll actually recognize – because he was famous enough. You may not remember the name, but if you see him and see a little skit of his, you would have probably seen one of his things. So, And the fact he wore a red fez because famously – Matt Smith early on had this fez. He said, Oh, it looks kind of cool. I like this fez. And let's just say that fez doesn't last very long. So <laughs> Thomas Frederick Cooper was a Welsh prop comedian and magician. As an entertainer, his appearance was large and lumbering at six foot three inches. And he habitually wore a red fez when performing. And if, if you, as I said, if you see a picture of him, you'll recognize him. Wow. That's, that is jaw dropping. That's,
1: <laughs> that's, that's almost as uh, odd as something the random. Name generator 9000 will give us okay. Uh, so companion, uh, number one, uh, I was given the name Smoking Joe Frazier, Frazier, oh. the boxer. And, um, it's funny, the last two times we've done this, I've ended up with a number of athletes. Uh, so Smoking Joe Fraser is there, and he's not the last athlete that we will see on my list today.
0: Very cool. And yeah, he's again because your random generator. I don't think I would have ever picked or thought of Smoke and Joe Fraser as a companion. But in your selection already, you've got Evil Knievel as the doctor and Smoke and Joe Fraser as his companion, and that's a very different show. I would say, <laughs>
1: it is, yeah,
0: it's very different. Let me see my one. Okay, so I went with Carrot Top <laughs> as my companion because he was known for having various props and stuff. So you have to give him props, so to speak. Sorry for the pun. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, so it'd be oh, Tommy Cooper and Carrot Top would be quite the combination. It's very feels very seventy-ish. Now
1: seventies. We know that sometimes in this in this day and age of social media, that's that there's often. Rage and outrage with certain casting, but I think today our two Schrodinger's list would actually not just create rage, but I think it might cause fandom to to issue a fatwa against oh, the man. two of us. There'd be <laughs> so, some anger, anger <laughs> there. Yeah, yeah. It's like evil can evil. What? Anyway, uh, okay. So I'm on to the brigadier and the brigadier. Given to me by the random name generator, 9,000. Is Charo.
0: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Coochie Coochie.
1: I, I, I'm old it enough
0: is. to remember Charo back when she was, you know, in the 70s and so yeah. on. Like, and um, she doesn't look much different. It's really crazy. But I went with Howie Mandel um, because he was also early on. He used things like oh, a yeah. hand a handbag it was a bag that had like fingers on it. like it was he had all these very he yeah. pulled things out so he was pretty much yeah. not entirely but partly a prop ca- comic back then he also went his... to the high school i went to
1: oh cool and now his prop is probably like hand sanitizer
0: yeah probably <laughs> uh but it would be kind of neat with um howie mandel helping out tommy cooper and carrot top at the moment so and yeah. and that would just be it would be propomatic at that point
1: yeah. Well, I am glad to say that I finally have in, in my four spot, I almost said four hole, but in, in the four spot of the master, I finally have somebody from genre. I have Erin Gray, who played Wilma Deering from Buck Rogers in the 25th century. No kidding. Um, and she w- I have her as the master. Again, not my choice, but the choice of the random name generator
0: 9000. Yeah, and that's quite the, like, in some cases with, with actors and actresses, playing that evil role, like whether you're playing Snape, like Alan Rickman did, or, you know, some characters over time, you can just really get into these, how evil and what these characters do. Some actors just strive to play that role. Yeah. Uh, and Erin Grey I think would be uh, uh, great. You know you think you think of her as someone who's positive and someone that you would get along with but that's a pretty dark character there. Yeah. Pretty psychotic. Um I almost think that we should have gone with the uh, guy from Psycho uh, Perkins um yep. Anthony Perkins. But okay so I've got as the master I've got Gallagher. Um <laughs> now Gallagher was a prop comic famous for a sledgeomatic routine in which he smashed watermelon now he did die recently actually in november 11th 2022 so that's wow. just like a couple months ago because we're recording this around january 20th or so and uh at the age of 76 so he only died fairly recently but and gallagher is someone that was pretty much world famous like people oh, yeah. would recognize gallagher
1: yeah we salute you gallagher uh, for the role of Davros, I have somebody who also just passed away very recently maybe maybe even more recent than Gallagher, I have Palais. and again, just through the random name generator, Pele as Davros. Wow,
0: yeah again, don't think I could see that coming no, but that's the beauty of it is that you have someone like like him playing that role. That's just so cool. Oh, and by the way,
1: once once a name is pulled from the random name generator, it is deleted, so they can't be back again, just so folks know. It's their one
0: rule. Yeah. One rule to rule them all. Ah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so for me, for Davros... Uh, who was sort of like the the almost the king of the Daleks or leader of the Daleks? I have uh, David Letterman, who was also known for a bit of like like doing the whole dropping Smashing watermelons, watermelons. And, yeah. and doing stuff from rooftops. And doing odd things. He wasn't known as well as Howie Mandel or Gallagher or others of doing specific props for their routines or Tommy Cooper. But I did throw him in as Davros here.
1: Nice. So would your Davros, would your your letterman as Davros, would he be bearded or not bearded?
0: Well, after seeing, that was one of the greatest shocks possibly in world history, of (laughs) the world history of beards. Of the last 10 years or 15 years was when he had stopped being on the, you know, doing the David Letterman show, had a bit of a break. And then he suddenly comes back and he's got this beard, like one of those people who do contests right. to win, you know, these amazing beards. Um, yeah. uh, certainly there was a recent thing in his show where he talks to people. um where he was actually talking to and had visited Ukraine and was talking to the leader. There was quite incredible. So I don't know if you've had a chance to watch that. It's available. uh, uh, It's available uh, on demand, but it's so good. Like, like Letterman is so good. He's just Mm -hmm. has this way of just drawing you out and also making funny asides, but getting to the heart of things. So uh, for sure. Yeah. He was a
1: huge, huge hero uh, for me when I was a kid. mm um a kid yeah I was like 18 or 19 or 20 but whatever mm. um cyberman um my last one from the random name generator 9000 sebastian cabot as cyberman who people may remember actually only oh people are, our age <laughs> sebastian cabot i think of from family affair family affair, affair. yeah family. Of mr course, french I-
0: Yes, yes. I I was a huge I just loved a Sebastian Cabot back then. But we're talking, we're going back a while. Like, from yeah, what I remember yes. of him, from whatever I watched on TV, it was early 70s. Like, this was, or oh, maybe yeah. even late 60s. Like, this yes. was a long time ago. Yes. Yep. That's Definitely. going That's going back. Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
1: So um, that is my that is my Schrodinger's cast. Evil Knievel, Joe Frazier, Charo, Aaron Gray, Pelé, and Sebastian Cabot.
0: Okay, well, I, I went with someone that I did. I just looked up and I looked up acts that were famous that were known for props, and I would have to do more research or try to find video or to try to find something of them. But there was a a pair called Olson and Johnson, and this is going back to vaudeville. That if for my research. If you talk about prop comics, these people during vaudeville were probably the most famous practitioners and the best practitioners of using props as part of their comedy and part of the routines. So they're sort of like the granddaddies and and the, the the first ones that really brought it to the forefront that everyone sort of looks to. So I picked Olsen and Johnson as cybermen. Mm. Well, I think the show is about as long as the Jerry
1: Lewis Telethon uh back in the Labor Day era in the 70s. But
0: I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Oh, well, it's fun. And thank you for the suggestion of sort of just at least having something where people can introduce and talk about. We can just talk about the very basics of Doctor Who. This is our Doctor Who 101, an introduction episode. And at some point, we will have to revisit Doctor Who, but get into more in depth, have a, a special guest that's an expert and get right into something like maybe the episode Blink, which is one of my favorite ones of theirs or the uh, specific Christmas episode, or whatever it is. At some point, we need to get real, really do a good deep dive into Doctor Who, I think, uh, beyond this introduction.
1: Yep. Uh, folks, please remember to catch us on your favorite podcast provider. Uh, we are on Spotify, which is still a great thing. Uh, our website, which is where you could first find us, it's still around. David does a great job putting that thing together. Um, it's, uh, two numeric two, uh, O F dot C A. Um, we're always at Facebook and we look for interaction there. Um, so and, and that's uh two old farts talk sci-fi, just like the name of our show here. Um, and your uh your favorite podcast provider, look for us, tell a friend, please like, subscribe, all that stuff, and just have a good time enjoying all of the old episodes. And we look forward to doing many, many more for you in the future.
0: I am David Clink. And I am Troy Harkin. See you all for our next episode of Two Old Farts talk sci-fi. <laughs>